This podcast contains strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to We're Not Over Six Feet Under, the podcast where we talk about the aughts most morose TV show about a Gen Xer and a funeral home and mortality, episode by episode, spoiler free. I'm your host, Caroline McGraw. I'm a playwright and screenwriter. And I'm your other host, Jenna Shearer. I'm a writer, editor, and pop culture critic. This week, we're talking about season one, episode 10, The New Person, which originally aired on August 5th, 2001, five days before my dad's birthday. Um, This episode was written by Bruce Eric Kaplan and directed by Kathy Bates. Amazing. It's a good good team. I have, I sort of don't watch the credits sometimes, which I should, but sometimes I don't. And sometimes I like it because I'm like, ooh, I want to find out when we record the episode. Yeah. <laughs> wrote this one and who directed it. And I thought both the writing and the directing were top notch. They're very episode. good. Well, so if you'll recall, Bruce Eric Kaplan is the New Yorker cartoonist guy. Yes. And his episodes always tend to be kind of high on the physical comedy. He did The Foot. That was his last episode, I yeah. believe. Yeah. Um, this episode has some incredible comedy in it. It really does. Um, the like, I just want a permanent gif just playing of, of Nate walking backwards out of the embalming room wide eyed while Angela's talking about getting peed on. As we're getting directors and writers a second time around, I'm kind of starting to notice her signatures. For example, Kathy Bates is like, I mean, the show is always into like the super close on your face. Oh, yes, yes, but yes. But Kathy Bates is like, how close to a face can we get? She gets into Billy's noggin. There's a lot of shots of like, is, there's like one with Billy and then there, I think there's one later with Angela and Nate where like somebody's face is in like the extreme foreground and then over their shoulder in the way distance you can see somebody else. Yes, that is actually one of my favorite moments. I know I know what you're talking about. That's one of my favorite yeah. moments in yeah. this episode. Let's get into this episode. We begin with a nerd monologuing in his kitchen <laughs> about his customer service job. I can't tell if he's super into selling lamps or if he's just kind of comforting himself about his lamp selling lifestyle. Yeah, he just seems to enjoy any little bit of power he can get, which I relate to, honestly. Oh, sure. I feel like this guy is A, a New Yorker cartoon, and B, is kind of channeling Eugene Levy in Waiting for Guffman. Like, he's delighted by his own jokes that are not very good, and he has like a like oh, an they're extreme... they're barely jokes. Like an extreme, like, bucktooth prosthetic. So he's about to finish his triumphant story when his wife, who has been cooking eggs in the background, uh, brains him with a frying pan. Not even a light frying pan, like a cast iron skillet. Oh, yeah. No, she seasoned that bad boy, and then she just hit him right upside the head. R.I.P. Jonathan Arthur Hanley, 1956 to 2001. In the very next scene, the first one in the Fisher home, Nate and David are immediately discussing him. Mm-hmm. I like when Nate white knights a little and is like, man, to snap this, you know, this woman must have been abused. And David says she killed him because he was boring. Yep. And then they both kind of have this moment where they reflect on, am I too boring for my partner? They do it out loud, which I appreciate. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. So Nate and David also talk about replacing Rico. David is not up to the tasks that are coming in. He can't really do complicated reconstructions. Nate has an amazing line where he says that a corpse is a page one rewrite. What does that mean? Okay, nobody but a television writer, a screenwriter, possibly a playwright, but really would (laughs) say that. That is such a writer thing to say. I don't like being like, a character wouldn't say that. Nate would not say that. It just means that he, like, this corpse needs a top to bottom reconstruction. Okay. Um, So Nate has taken some initiative and scheduled interviews for that afternoon. It's it's a little bit like stepping all over David, but in another way, it's kind of like, look, I'm taking responsibility and figuring stuff out. And David's ego maybe wouldn't let him do this quite yet. Yes. So in the next scene, they are talking to these candidates in the 
crying slash intake room. But it's like one of those kind of comedy bit things where they kind of flip back and forth between these three people. Who I mean, are... these guys are New Yorker cartoons. Yes. We see guy who calls his coworker a bitch is how I referred to him. Oh, he works for somebody that the Fishers know. And when he finds that out, he's like, that wasn't my fault that the arm that didn't get embalmed and some bitch covering for him. He didn't, you know, had to take the fall. So oh, that guy's God, terrible. imagine an open casket corpse with one rotting arm. And then there's a, there's a guy who is just creepy. And he says, after I spend several hours in bed and do my chanting, the dark time usually passes. I mean, I appreciate that he's upfront about his deal, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's real sad. Embalmers, people who kind of choose this lifestyle, they have to be some kind of weird, right? I mean, Rico definitely gets real happy when he's done a great job with a restoration. But Rico is so sunny and well-adjusted compared to these people, mm-hmm. in- including so we see Ileana Douglas. She is the third person they're interviewing. And I do not love this character, but I love her. I was trying to figure out what I had seen her in. Because she seems so familiar to me. She's everywhere you want to be in the 90s. She pops up a lot in the 90s. If I had to interact with this person, I would lose my mind, mm-hmm. which is great stuff from mm-hmm. Ileana Douglas. That's what I feel like. That's what you're supposed to get. Uh, her character's name is Angela. She's pretty much the anti-Fishers. And it's it's interesting because she's the anti-Fishers in ways that I would say are probably good and also in ways where you're like, ooh, I love a boundary. Yeah. Give me more boundaries, everybody. She just, she goes too hard in the other direction. I think she performs quite well in this interview. I would hire her. She talks about her connection to embalming and she, she, takes it very seriously. Yeah, she seems to really love it. Um, She says that she felt like she was coming home the first time she embalmed a body. They got a lot of plot going very quickly in this episode. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Um, Next, the David Fisher dancers. Yes. Well, I love this because Michael C. Hall, a theater performer, a musical theater performer. When he came onto Six Feet Under, he was fresh off of playing the MC in Cabaret on Broadway. Ugh. Is there anything he can't do? Right. He's got a lot of living to do, which is a song I love. From Bye Bye Birdie. So David is broken out of his reverie with the David Fisher dancers by Ruth. So Ruth comes in and asks David what he's thinking, and he snaps at her. David is so mean when he's not happy romantically. I know. Also... David is so horny in this episode that it's upsetting. (laughs) Like, I actually was like, oh, I don't, oh. I know. Yeah, there's a part later that's, well, we'll We'll, we're going to get into it, as I I like to say. And in the next scene, they are at Billy's photo exhibit called Private Slash Public by William Chenoweth. (laughs) William, shut up, Billy. There's Um, no such thing as private in Billy Chenoweth's world. Brenda looks amazing. Mm-hmm. That like asymmetrical collar. Oh, and they did her hair okay. I mean, it's still early 2000s hair, but it looks really good. A lot of people from the show are there. And this actually begins one of my favorite traditions on Six Feet Under, which is people on Six Feet Under dealing with art. Just know if you're watching this show for the first time that over the course of the five seasons of Six Feet Under, the Fishers and their adjacent friends and lovers will capital D deal with art. Now that I'm thinking about it, that's part of what I love about the show so much. It's amazing. How much like weird art shit there is. So everyone's there. Billy is there. Margaret Chenoweth is there and possibly propositioning Billy when she whispers to him. Margaret and Ruth are in the same room. It's pretty glorious. And we, and you know, Ruth is there. With she, Nikolai. She, she brought Nikolai. And Brenda invited Ruth to try to get on her good side, which doesn't really seem, that doesn't really make much sense, but I'll, I'll go with it. It's, yeah, it's not a great ploy. So then we see Margaret and Billy together and see this dynamic, which is sketched out pretty quickly. Uh, Bernard did not come. A lot of this episode, Billy goes from being this kind of, weird force of chaos that we just don't know what his deal is to being like oh we are starting to see why he is the way he is oh yeah absolutely margaret's energy is so toxic oh it's insane and 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 just like her laughter in the face of any sort of criticism call for boundaries anything is so nuts she's also drunk she is wasted very drunk on on art gallery wine and i think she's wearing 
a trench coat with nothing underneath it. That was the sense I got. Yes. And then we get to Ruth and Nikolai and Margaret and Nate and Brenda all together. The minute Margaret and Ruth meet each other, it's just, it's so epic. They they could not be more different. And the look on Francis Conroy's face. And it, Margaret is draping herself all over Nate. And Brenda is like, hey, get off of my boyfriend. He's not interested. I got the feeling that there has probably been some point where Margaret draped herself on a Brenda paramour and the guy is interested. I bet that Margaret has slept with not just one, but multiple of Brenda's ex-boyfriends. So Gareth Feinberg Mm -hmm. has been, I guess, invited by Margaret. He's the doctor who wrote Charlotte Light and Dark and the one who basically made Brenda's childhood a living hell. Brenda calls him a Nazi fuck, which she either picked up from Nate or someone in the writer's room likes to call people Nazi fucks (laughs) because that, again, doesn't feel quite like it's in Brenda's mouth. Mm -hmm. She's upset that he's there, which makes total sense to me. Dr. Feinberg, by the way, played by Jed Allen, who is, I I guess, is this really um, iconic. I didn't really watch soap operas, but he was on like Uh, every soap opera in the 80s. When he's called over to compliment Billy, Billy's also not into this. Billy hates him. He, I fucks Margaret. Oh, my God. Very hard. They, I am like 100% confident that they had sex. Oh, yes. Like many times. Absolutely. In the 80s. The thing that was really wild about this scene is Billy starts to seem like the sanest of the Chenoweths because oh, no. Brenda's losing it because yeah. she's so upset to see Dr. Feinberg and because she's mad at her mom generally and yeah. and Margaret's being wild. Yes. And Billy is the one who's like, can everybody just be normal for my photo exhibit? And I was like, wow, things have really gone off the rails. Noted voice of reason, Billy Chenoweth. <laughs> so the next thing that happens is oh, something man. that I forgot happened. We see some people looking at a photo and one guy is just chuckling to himself. And then, and the shot is from the point of view of the photograph, which I also really liked. And then we see it. And it is a very vivid photograph. (laughs) Full color. (laughs) Of Nate peeing up against a brick wall wearing, I believe, Adidas athletic shorts. Yeah, it's it's his running outfit. And it's like like the pee is like sparkling in the sunshine. <laughs> Nate is really upset about this. And Justifiably. Of course. And Billy's reasoning was, I saw you one day when I was out taking pictures. So I just followed you for a couple of miles. He starts up going, I wasn't stalking you. I just saw you and followed you for a couple of miles. <laughs> Why couldn't Nate just roll into a Starbucks and pee? Why is he peeing against a brick wall? I don't. I'm... I feel like this might be a dude thing. Like Ugh. maybe they're just like, we can do it anywhere. I don't know. It's broad daylight. I know. It's pretty gross. Look, I mean, he's he's an attractive white man. He can do whatever he wants, but it's really Like hopefully crazy. it's an alley or something. It but... did seem like it was an alley, but he. <laughs> He's really very far away from the wall. He's just going for it. And then Brenda says, It's uh, it's what Billy does. He takes pictures of people when they're off guard. He's got a talent. It's art. No, it's fucked. His delivery is perfect. Peter Krause, comic genius. Um, Nikolai laughs at the photo. I watched this by myself and I LOL'd. It was great. And of course, Nate storms out and Brenda follows after him. I get it. Yeah, I get it. And then they have a big fight in her apartment and she's all like, Nate, don't make this about you. And it's (laughs) the one time where I'm like, actually, Nate gets to make this about himself. Oh, yeah, 100%. Later in the episode, Nate sort of says to Brenda like, okay, I'm ready to talk. I won't make it all about me. And I was like, for once, you should still be mad about this. Yeah. This is crazy. It's incredibly invasive and creepy. So Brenda's like making all these excuses for Billy. And Nate basically asks if he tried to kill himself. No, Nate asks if he's ever done anything dangerous, I think saying, did he ever hurt you? Brenda says he wouldn't hurt anybody except himself. Look, Nate, fair question. Entirely. I mean, like, like, Billy's terrifying he's, yeah. he's an entertaining character to watch but if i was in the same room as him i would be scared so we find out from brenda that she gave up a scholarship to yale for billy because he tried to kill himself the summer she was doing like a backpacking around europe trip before she went to college mm-hmm. and she says that like she 
stayed back for him, but no one pressured her to do it. She wanted to help him. And she sort of says like his manic symptoms, you know, they always manifest in adolescence. It probably didn't have anything to do with me. And I'm like, mm, probably did. Uh, so Billy would have been like 15 when yeah. this happened. Well, and I can totally understand why Brenda would feel like she has to protect him because their parents certainly did not. I mean, one of the really heartbreaking things about this episode is it, I think up until now, the show has sort of treated Brenda and Billy's codependency as like, what's up with this? But this is the episode where you're like, oh, I get why they are so protective of each other and why they're so wrapped up in each other because they were basically defending each other from these like really emotionally abusive parents. Margaret's like gross to say, but like sexual energy toward Billy yeah, is yeah, is real yuck. And I'm like, Brenda would have had to be like a huge, I mean, who knows what she was doing when he was younger, but like human shield that shit. It's so inappropriate. Oh yeah, back when they're at the gallery, I, I think like Margaret's all over him and, and she's to... Brenda like oh don't worry I won't steal him from you and I'm like none of you should be flirting with the person you are related to yeah it's it's terrible so in this next scene something wonderful happens which is the Fishers all eat breakfast together the whole family have we seen them together like this and it feels like we haven't but maybe I'm just not remembering right I think yeah it's been a few episodes since the dinner yeah oh yeah that's of course that would be the last time I think so in this scene Nate is sort of like what's going on with everybody's love life like What's going on with you, David? What about that person you were dating? Mom, What? A, what's going on with Hiram? Claire, are you dating anybody? And, and everyone's like, please stop talking. I know. Everybody's like, you know that we're fishers and none of us want to share anything about our personal lives. So... Claire is very cagey and just says that she's hanging out with someone. I had not remembered that Claire was so thirsty for Gabe in this episode. And not like even in a sexual way. She just wants his attention and approval so badly. She's trying really hard and it's really painful to watch, but also very realistic. Everyone kind of goes off for their Sundays. Ruth and David go to church. I don't know what I think Nate, Nate, Nate stays does. at the because he goes he's in the bombing room later. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's um well we'll see that it's Angela's first day. Yeah. And then we see Claire and Gabe watching Full House <laughs> at Gabe's not Full House. Oh. There's a bunch of Anthony's his uh, his brother who died in the last episode. A bunch of his toys are still around. Um so Gabe suggested they sort them to give to the neighbor kids and at that point Gabe's mother walks in who's just totally wrecked with, you know, obviously. Oh yeah, her her head is firmly in the clouds. She's she's not paying attention to anything. Oh, so Gabe says that they want to give the toys to Tony next door. So he has the same name as his brother who died. Oh, I didn't even clock that. You're totally right. And she just takes that box of toys away from him. Mm -hmm. I don't know. For some reason, I remembered that she like blew up. She just kind of takes him and is like, that's not happening. After she leaves, Gabe tells Claire that his mother won't even look at him, Mm. which is like, you know, Gabe still, I think, is blaming himself for not paying attention enough. Well, I think his mother is blaming him, too. Yeah, his mother's blaming him, too, and it's really hard because it's not his fault. So Claire gets Gabe out of the house by telling him she has something funny to show him, and we don't know what that is yet, but we're going (laughs) to see her all soon. In the next scene, we're in the embalming room with Nate uh, and Angela. Angela arrives at the funeral home with her box of stuff, and tells Nate that she had calamari last night, right. implying that she's gassy. And it's not a great way to start your job. So I was thinking about Angela's relationship to bodies because, you know, she loves embalming. She loves, like, dealing with these dead bodies. She's good at it. But I think she kind of goes in the opposite direction to how the Fishers, well, Nate in particular, deals with bodies where he's like, oh, dead bodies, like, let's not think about our own then. Yeah. And she's just like, oh, like, everything is fair game. Like, I'm going to talk about sex. I'm going to talk about farting. Yeah. Her boyfriend's low sperm count. Yeah. In the next, so in the, like, next, the longer scene where they're in the embalming room, she's starting work. She has put candles out. <laughs> she's made herself at home. Yeah. She's wearing a weed necklace. Yep. And, um, like, a shirt that is, like, a bra, but with, like, 
a little bit more enough to make it a shirt, but it's like basically a bra. And David arrives. It's a little later than when Nate has kind of let her into the house. And uh, David hates it. Oh, he hates it so much. He uh, And she says to him, Nate told me you're a deacon. That's adorable. She says the sentence, give me a break. They're just nipples. Uh, when David kind of like politely asks her to cover up, I would not like Angela. If I came across, I think I've said that already, but if I came across her IRL. The thing that is interesting about her is that we don't see her entire job interview, but she seems to have reined it in during that interview, or at least enough to let them feel comfortable about hiring her. Mm -hmm. But she just full on goes for it. Thinking about it, I was like, would it have been kind of like maybe a little more interesting if she just was a little weird in the beginning and it sort of escalated? But, you know, it's Bruce Eric Kaplan's prerogatives. I trust him. Um, I do love Nate in the background. So Nate has been watching Angela mm-hmm. work and he's just kind of like sitting back and enjoying the show. And when she's talking to David and saying things like they're just nipples, you can see him like laughing to himself but he's blurry Mm -hmm. it's it's wonderful it's so so funny good job kathy bates yeah it's a kathy bates signature move um another kathy bates signature move extreme close-up of billy which is our next it begins our next scene like we are basically living inside one of billy's pores so brenda's in the extreme background tiny over his shoulder like almost like the angel or devil on his shoulder yeah um and she's finally talking to billy about like Hey, it seems like you're trying to do shit to piss off my boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, like five episodes later, yeah. she's like, "We need to talk about Billy." And and in this scene, also Brenda admits to Billy that she's in love with Nate, which really throws Billy. She does not say this easily, and mm-hmm. Billy knows it, and he knows that this isn't just some passing phase. And it seems like in this scene that maybe like talking with Nate about what happened and also like interacting with their mother, like she's maybe like, oh, I missed out on some stuff because of Billy. She, I don't think she blames Billy directly, but like Billy's illness has made me like miss out on some life. And I think she's starting to see that. Mm-hmm. The next scene is a very wacky little scene um, yeah. where David, it's later in the day on Sunday. We do know what day it is on this episode. Um, David serves food to the poor down in downtown LA, which we've seen him do before. And then he has a saxophone scored fantasy about a gentleman experiencing homelessness uh, offering him a blowjob. I think it's supposed to indicate like David is just so sex starved that he sees sex everywhere. Okay, I do want to know how long it's been since he broke up with Kurt because he is acting like he hasn't had sex in 15 years. I know. And it's, as far as I know, been two weeks. And I know, yeah. I you know, everybody's different, but like he needs to rein it in. Mm-hmm. And then he is putting stuff in the van and he overhears Tracy. Uh, oh, yes, Tracy's back. Who still apparently has not taken a hint, even when he's given her much more than a hint. Yes. That he's not interested. But he overhears her saying Keith's name. Yes. She's getting the names of volunteers from St. Stephen's, which is Keith and David's previous church. Or it's Keith's current church, but David's previous church, um, who are going to come over and volunteer. And then she and David chat a little and Tracy says, uh, oh, you used to go to St. Stephen's. They're very progressive. And David's delivery of, yes, they are, is amazing. It's pretty great. <laughs> it's it's basically saying, yeah, I'm gay, Tracy. <laughs> you need to get with it. Then we have the little payoff to Claire wanting to show Gabe something that would cheer him up, which is Billy's photo of Nate. I love how everybody in the show has a moment with this photo of Nate peeing against a wall. Gabe apologizes for the foot. I mean, not the foot inset, but, you know, for what happened to her car. He apologizes for telling Andy about yeah. it. Um, and it seems like a really sincere apology. And it's like exactly what Claire wanted to hear. It is. In the next scene, Angela's on a phone call while she's embalming with like a little earpiece. Yeah. <laughs> um, and real Nate blast walks in on her uh, talking about that she had a one hour long orgasm. No, she would like to have oh, a one hour to, long okay. orgasm because she wore a weird outfit for her boyfriend and called him daddy. And then she would like to learn to have a one hour orgasm. And there was a magazine article that he's ignoring. 
after this phone call is over, Nate tells her she should not do personal calls because of David, which is such a cop out, which I'm very annoyed by. Just say it. You're the boss, too. She also says on this phone call. Well, I'm sorry that men can't have it. But since you guys get to have everything else on the planet, it seems like a fair trade off. Yes. And I'm like, go, Angela. Yes. Demand your one hour orgasm. I'm very with Angela on this one. So Nate gets a phone call from Brenda and she, it sounds like we don't hear her, but it sounds like she's brushing him off. And then when he hangs up, Angela is like, you got girl trouble. (laughs) Don't, I just wouldn't take relationship advice from her. No. At all. It's not like she's even like, I'll give you some advice if you're interested. She's like, I'm going to push and push and push until you tell me something. It's one of those things where like, yeah, the fissures are too closed off, but she's too open. Yes, 100%. She starts talking about this ex who wanted to pee on her and she thought it was fine and she just thought it was kind of silly. And Nate in another like great Peter Krause comedy moment just backs out of the room while unblinkingly staring at her. And it's it's beautiful. Yeah. So then we just have a little scene with Ruth She's arranging flowers at Nikolai's flower shop. Uh, She and Nikolai chat a little. Uh, Nikolai did not like the pictures (laughs) at Billy's uh, opening, which uh, that's okay. Oh, yeah. So Ruth asks Nikolai on not a date in this scene, basically. Oh, yeah. She's like, do you want to go to dinner? And she's like giggling. But yeah, it's very like, what are you doing, Ruth, while Hiram is out of town? So then we have Gabe and that idiot Andy. They're in the hallway at school they're arguing about going to a party claire rolls up andy's bitchy to her and she calls a peanut testicle which never fails to make me happy and gabe is is delighted by claire telling andy off it's sort of the first time we see any life in gabe's eyes in this episode Mm -hmm. claire is like what are you doing what do you want to do do you want to hang out we could go to this party what's going on and gabe says that he has to go to barstow and get money from his dad Mm -hmm. um and claire's like i could go with you i could read a stephen king book in a scary hotel which makes her my sister (laughs) um and gabe looks like he doesn't really want it to happen but he's like okay fine we'll do that they're gonna go i guess tomorrow night yeah it's it's a big move for claire to make to be like oh can i come on this like fun trip with you to get money from your dad i know it's a real you're like so billy has vandalized Gareth Feinberg's office in this next scene. He um, spray painted Nathaniel and Isabel on the walls like a true punk. Yeah, I mean that's okay, Billy. But because uh, <laughs> I don't, will Feinberg know what that means? It doesn't matter. I don't think Billy is I, really. I think he will because he like studied all of Brenda's that's psyche true. as a child. No, you're right. And then we're at the glass Chenoweth yes. uh, homestead. And the only other time I think we've seen it is with Kathy Bates directing. I think she loves yeah. to be at the Chenoweth house, which She I loves like. that pool. Yeah. And Billy is throwing Feinberg's files on Brenda into the pool, and he's like, definitely in a bad place. Bernard is there now, too, and Margaret's there, and Bernard just like, can't deal with this and just like extracts himself from the situation and Billy's like yelling about how they let Brenda be picked apart and they're terrible parents and he has a point I mean he's again making it in a way that's not helpful but my um, sympathy is entirely with Billy in this scene because totally Bernard and Margaret are both doing a thing that like is really annoying in real life where if you're angry about something and other people are just like well, I'm sorry that you're so upset, but I'm going to stand here being super calm, which must make me right. And then he gets angrier and angrier. Well, they're trying to therapist him. Yeah. Margaret does seem genuinely sad by the end of this scene. Yes. She, I don't know if she's remorseful, but she, it seems to have hit, this seems to have hit her mm-hmm. in a way that it obviously has not for Bernard. So then we have Angela fixing up a corpse and she's just like blathering about sinewy necks. Well, and David's in the room fixing up another body. Well, and the way she's talking about the neck on the corpse, she uses it as a segue to be like, what kind of guys do you like? I like guys like this corpse with this kind of neck. It's very off-putting. She knows immediately that David is gay. Then she says, I can tell you're single. And I mean, to be fair, David is giving off, not that he's, I mean, nothing wrong with being single, but David is like, I hate this. Yeah. Is his vibe. And then the very next scene is this jump cut to him just saying to Ruth and Nate, I think we should fire her. Yes. <laughs> like it's the exact button to press to like it's the it's like David's eject button. And so then in the next scene we have the Fishers 
eating together again. I like that. We get that a lot in this episode. Mm-hmm. And Ruth is is being sympathetic towards Angela, but she's clearly just talking about her growing feelings for Nikolai. Yep. And Claire comes in um, late to dinner and she says that she has to do an overnight astronomy observation thing at an observatory, which is like such a bad lie. I love that David and Nate back her up. It's so obvious what's happening, but they're like... Yeah, I did it in high school too. You have to do it. And it's very it's a very sweet like brother. Yeah, it's moment. cute that they both clock it and they both back her up. Yeah. Also Ruth seems like she doesn't really believe it, but she's going to let it go, which yeah, again, she's not a great mothering. But if you're if you're in the same episode as Margaret and you're being yeah. a mother, you're going to seem like a good mother <laughs> That's by true. comparison. She's not trying to uh, have sex with any of her children, exactly. so she's really she's really leaps and bounds. Speaking of Margaret, yes. Uh, Bernard and Margaret and Brenda are talking about the incident with Billy vandalizing Feinberg's office, and they say that Feinberg's not pressing charges, but Margaret is broaching the topic of sending Billy to a psych ward. So they want Brenda to talk to him about this because Brenda's like, you can't have a grown man committed unless he does something dangerous. And they're like, yeah, that's why we, why we want you to do our dirty work. But Brenda is so against this. And I, and it's, it's implied that they that Bernard wants to give Billy shock treatment. Yeah. So Angela has lunch with Ruth because uh, she can't eat downstairs in the embalming room anymore because she spilled some beet salad in someone's wig. So Angela and Ruth are two great tastes that do not taste great together. <laughs> Angela immediately like gets in Ruth's face. She's like, I heard your boyfriend's a hairdresser. Could he do something about my hair? She asks Ruth about her sex life. Yeah. And she's so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. She starts telling all these, you know, weird stories about herself. And it, it, she has this very, like this one time at band camp sort of energy. Yeah, she does. I don't, I don't know how she thinks other people see her. Yeah, it's hard to tell. There were, there were times when after she gets fired, when I kept thinking like, oh, this is something that happens to her a lot. Yeah. So in the next scene, we just, it's very short. Claire is like kind of looking around for Gabe and then she gets a voicemail from him uh, where he doesn't sound great. No. And he says he's just going to go by himself. And he kind of says something like, so I guess that's it. Yeah. Goodbye. And it's Claire doesn't clock it at the time. But yeah. it, it just makes you go, oh, what's what kind of goodbye is this? And then uh, Billy is doing plumbing in, in Brenda's sink. But Brenda's trying to talk about Billy's future, basically. And Billy just says, like, oh, you know, I just, I, I was changing my meds, but it's not my fault. The, it's not my fault is, like, the classic Billy. And it's a, it's a thing that I think we've touched on with Billy and will continue to, which is that Billy has a legitimate diagnosed medicated mental illness, He's also a dick. Mm -hmm. So there's stuff that he does where you're like, is this your illness manifest? Like there's always Billy manifesting within the illness manifestation. So like he's, he says it's not my fault, which way to take responsibility for your actions. It's his fault that he took the photo of Nate, which is not part of his freak out. But like Mm -hmm. there's things that he does that he sort of will like gloss over. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I got my medication. Like he seems to really be so cavalier about how his actions affect other people. Uh, So next, Ruth is going to get ready for like a pre-date with Nikolai. But she finds she has two very tiny, fragile goblets. Yeah, they're they're sherry glasses. And she goes to pick them up and she just finds that the cup is broken off the stem of one of them. This feels like very much like a thing that like Anne Shirley would do to Marilla. (laughs) Oh, man. Angela is no Anne Shirley. You're absolutely right. And actually, even Angela's explanation is actually a little Anne Shirley too. And then we see Nate and David are trying to figure out how to fire Angela, but she's really good at her job. They're like looking up close at a corpse that she embalmed and David says, my God, you could eat off this skin. And then Ruth comes in and she's real mad about the goblets. And then David and Nate kind of look each other and pass the buck to Angela immediately. They're like, Angela did it. I didn't do it. They didn't do it. No one thinks that Claire did it, which is actually a very Claire thing to do, I think. 
when I first watched this that I thought David and Nate were just blaming her and I didn't actually think she did it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really smart that later in the episode we find out that she did. Yeah. Uh, so David rolls up to uh, where Keith is volunteering and handing out uh, food for his church. And they have a... Um, they seem like okay with each other. They have a nice moment. And then David has a hilarious <sighs> fantasy sequence where suddenly Keith is in his cop uniform. <laughs> and the blowjob drifter is there. Yep. And the, the yeah, the blowjob drifter comes up behind David and stabs him. And there's opera music playing. And Keith shoots the guy. And, yeah. and David like falls to the ground and he's dying. And Keith is declaring his love. And then, of course, they snap back and he's just, just normal. standing there. Um Ruth and Nikolai eat at a Russian restaurant, and it's very boisterous. <laughs> Ruth is on her semester abroad, and she is having a fantastic time. And then I just reminded myself what happened in the scene by writing some sluts roll up. <laughs> they're not sluts. They're I, very lovely ladies. I tried to find uh, what these characters were named and who the actors were, and they were not on IMDb. Oh, man. Like, these, these characters have no names and are not listed on IMDb. It's... Some very heavily made up women in very tight dresses who are about Ruth's age. And they couldn't be more different from Ruth in that they are like dressed to the nines and sort of like packaged. And Ruth is just like in a very beautiful blouse and sort of like flowing free and all that stuff. Um, and Ruth is addressed as uh, Nikki's special friend. And she doesn't deny it. She's just she's just really, um, you know, walking a line in this episode. Um, We're back to David and Keith. David asks if Eddie is a serious relationship. And Keith is like, sort of. And then Keith is very McGruff the crime dog about (laughs) the, the, the drugs. Like, he's like you done with those drugs or is that a serious thing and i'm like okay you can just pipe down but yeah david says he's no longer seeing kurt and he's no longer doing his drugs well something also just to clock here is that keith says you know what those that stuff did to my sister yes so just just clock that for the future um Tracy rolls up and is sort of like, David, this isn't your usual night. She has no chill. I think that this is where Tracy realizes that David and Keith um, are uh, uh, gay for each other. I feel like it, it doesn't even fit into her idea of the universe. She that knows David would something be gay. is going on, though. I, yes. I, she clocks something. She kind of like looks back and forth at them. Very, mm-hmm. And it's it's subtle. But I think that even if she couldn't articulate it, she's like, Something's happening. Yeah. Um, And then uh, David asks if Keith wants to grab dinner, and Keith says yes. Nikolai and Ruth dance, and she really just have is having a great junior year abroad, as I've said. Like, it just (laughs) is something where it's so, like, I think it's so funny that they're, like, Russia, so exotic for Ruth. Like, it's very, it's very funny. Ruth is just, like, having the time of her life. Um, And then Ruth goes to the bathroom, and she's kind of catching her breath in the mirror, and she is just, like flustered and delighted and then one of the women in this dramatic red dress steps out behind her and appears in the mirror and says that she'd like to tear ruth's heart out you know just just normal bathroom stuff yeah we go back to keith and david um so <laughs> David has taken Keith to to the gallery to see the picture of Nate peeing. But the gallery is closed. So, so. Yeah, they're just like, oh, well, and I think David has not seen the photo yet. So they're both kind of trying to see it through the glass window and really just having a wonderful time with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they eat uh, some disgusting street tacos. But they're just like... No, they're just enjoying each other's company. Yeah, and David looks like he's maybe about to kiss Keith. Like he's Man. he's very like, okay, I'm ready to get back into this. David is is thirsty mm-hmm. in this episode. Well, I think th- there's definitely like thirst there, but I think with Keith too, he's also looking at it like I want back in a relationship. Yeah, there's there's love and thirst. Love and thirst. Um, the David Fisher story. I mean, that is absolutely the David Fisher story. So. Then we're back in the bathroom with uh, Ruth and the red dress lady, and uh, we find out that red dress lady has been like, has she been dating Nikolai? It's so weird. She says like, wooing him. She makes dinner for him every Saturday night for six years, and then they go see a two fifty movie. And uh, apparently, Nikolai really loves Freddie Prinze Jr., which yeah. uh, thinking about Nikolai seeing she's all that first run is very exciting. For I love me. that. I love that character detail. And then. 
she's like, do you want to marry Nikki? Which is very intense. And And this is the moment when Ruth kind of cracks and is like, what am I doing? It's also, it's so wonderful because she's like, no, I don't, I don't want to get married again. And then she has this realization that like, she doesn't think she wants to be with Nikolai and she loves her job. That's mm-hmm. like a big thing. And she's like, I love this job I have. I didn't think it was going to happen for me. So I don't want to do anything to damage that. And she says, I love I love the job because it's mine. Yeah. Which is really sweet. She says, thank you. I've had the best time coming to this funny restaurant and having you yell at me in the bathroom. I love when Ruth has a reaction that's the opposite reaction to what you think Ruth would have. Mm-hmm. Like, she's just like... Thank you for bringing this to my attention that I felt this way. Yeah. What a magical night. Ruth is really just letting life happen to her in a way that the other Fishers really can't yeah. can't do. So Keith goes to David's apartment. They start to make out. And then when it gets more intense, Keith pulls away. And I don't know. I think Keith is sending some mixed signals. I totally agree. Like Keith is trying to be, he's trying to act all like the moral high ground authority here. He's like, I don't think we should do this. I'm seeing someone. I'm like, you went back to David's David's apartment apartment at night. Like what else was it going to be about? You don't know anyone's sex, Keith. I mean, that's it's fine. It's it's a gentleman's prerogative to change your mind. But for him to act like he wasn't giving all all of these signals yeah, and also that he didn't like happily participate when David kissed him Mm -hmm. is this is something that annoys me about Keith and is part of his character is that he just really thinks he's better than everybody else yeah well and I feel like it's also kind of a probably unintentionally cruel thing to do to David who again is like fairly new to you know acting on his homosexuality and to constantly just have keith be like i don't like that boy you're seeing like why are you doing all these drugs why are you kissing me in your apartment at night that i willingly came up to and kissed you in so keith leaves and david's super mad i'm kind of like david you should probably get back in that van and go back to that gay club but um but he doesn't he just and i know he loves keith it's all Mm -hmm. it's all you know it's very complicated It's, it's sad i feel bad for david in this scene I do too. No, definitely. He really, he thought he was getting somewhere. So Claire's sort of doing laundry and then also just looking at a hole in a sock. She's like staring into a black hole. Nate's like, hey, I thought you were going to be off doing something last night because we covered for you. And this is like a really sweet brother-sister scene. It is. Like the Claire kind of unloads on Nate. She says it was really good to be needed Mm -hmm. by, um, by Gabe. And Nate says that he needs her, which I will say that I don't know if Nate's been showing that a lot lately, Mm -hmm. but Nate uh, shows it more than anyone else in the house, for sure. Yeah. Um, And he he really listens in this scene, which is not something Nate usually does. Claire says about Gabe, we had this really intense connection and now it's gone and I want it back. And I was like, that is adulthood. And Nate correctly diagnoses that she's also kind of really talking about their dad. And Nate says, we never talk about him. And it's true. Like, Claire doesn't get to go to the room. Yeah. Like, with with Nate and David, like, Claire doesn't get to go on the weird closure bus. Like, Claire doesn't sort of have any of these experiences. Well, I mean, you know, Claire, when she's talking about being needed um she says that she always feels like an annoying extra person just lumped in with everybody else and Mm. the her family treats her like that a lot yeah it's true claire is in a different family than nate and david were in for a long time Mm -hmm. like for such a long time it was the four of them and well you know when she talks about people leaving her i also kind of wondered if that was about nate because you know he's the prodigal son returning as nate senior's ghost has told us yes um and i i kind of feel like that is another layer of it is like nate also left her so then in this next scene it is 2001 because David is on a very spammy looking website. Man connection. He is chatting with another gentleman. Using his fantasy name Jim oh, yet again. I love that his fantasy name is Jim. He has a phone sex chat with this other man. I don't know what the online pornography situation is in 2000, 2001. But David really does want human connection. Yeah, I think that it is important to him that he is talking to somebody and that he is participating in this role play. So Nate shows up at Brenda's house. Nate is like, I'm ready to talk. I won't make it about me, which again, we talked about. I I think it would actually be fine if you made it about him. It's been like 72 hours. Mm -hmm. And Brenda is exhausted. 
like she's she's been trying to field the stuff with her family. She's worried about Billy. Nate doesn't know that Billy went to Feinberg's house and like lost his mind. Um, but he's like Nate is basically taking the lesson that he learned from talking with Claire. Yeah. Um, like into this scene where he can see that she's exhausted and mm-hmm. she's and he's not pushing her, perhaps over apologizing. Yeah. But he tells her very plainly that he loves her and he needs her and it's okay for her to need him too. Yeah, it's very sweet. It's, and she's sort of like tucked in and she looks yeah, real happy. It's like a rare tender moment with Brenda and uh, and Nate. So David walks into the embalming room with Angela and she greets him with rough night stud to which he responds mm, you're fired you're fired (laughs) i think it's probably bad timing for him to fire her when she hasn't finished up with the body yes that is true um but i yeah at this point i would say let's fire angela yeah so we have a spontaneous brunch at brenda's with margaret uh which is a terrifying sentence Margaret is like performing this fake mother thing where she's like, I just brought you brunch like I always do. And Brenda's like, you have never, ever made any food for me. She's never gone to a grocery store. No. Or like hasn't in 20 years, I bet. Margaret really wants Billy to be committed, which I actually don't disagree that Billy should be doing something. Maybe like just seeing a new therapist who isn't constantly changing his meds. Yes. So we do get some new information when they told Brenda that he tried to kill himself. It was actually that he had tried to set fire to their house or had like been building a bomb. Yeah. I don't know whether this is true or not. I also don't know if it's true. Um, it could definitely be true. She could also definitely be lying. Um, and and Brenda walks out. I have a minor heaven can't Nate which is that during this whole fight, Nate gets a call from David about the fact that David has fired Angela. Mm-hmm. Brenda's like storming out, super upset, understandably super upset. And Nate's like, wait, Brenda. Like he won't get up. I know. You can move with the cell phone, pal. Like you can follow her. And he's just like, no, I'm talking to David. And he just doesn't actually seem that concerned. And he's like, I'm going to go see Rico. It's it's strange. And so next, Nate goes to Kroner and approaches Rico. Pam goes, you're one of the Fishers, aren't you? And then she just like cackles. I don't like Pam. No. Um, we just have a little scene of Claire going to Gabe's locker. And it is open and it is empty. Mm-hmm. And he's he's gone and she's yeah. understandably freaking out. Yeah. And his, his phone is like out of service. Oh, yes, that's right. So Ileana Douglas slash Angela and her Dalmatian backpack are leaving the Fisher household. (laughs) And Ruth uh, comes downstairs to help her. Yeah. Um, Um, Man, I would just have stayed out of the way. If you were Ruth, would you ever want to interact with Angela again? No. Yeah. So Angela has this little monologue about how when she broke the goblet, she could sense it was better not to say anything. Mm-hmm. And that like this was a house where you didn't tell people things. I think she straight up says like, like I could tell that everyone in this house is fragile, like yeah. the glass. And I'm like, okay, we, we got that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I do like the idea that she's sort of like this house is in some way like poisonous to her as yeah. like a completely like no boundaries person. Totally. And, and you know, it's actually something that I think Brenda has sort of alluded to before mm-hmm. where she's just been like, the, you know, when you're around the Fishers, like this stuff starts to happen, but it's never been said so blatantly. And then Angela tells Ruth that David is gay or talks about David being yeah, gay. Yeah, assuming that Ruth. Ruth already knows that David is gay. Um, just like casually lobs that little bomb. Ruth seems surprised. Really. She doesn't seem that shocked. Like she looks I think sh- she does seem pretty oh, shocked. Oh, does she? Yeah. I don't know. I felt like she didn't, but maybe I'm just misremembering. I it. think I think it totally takes her by surprise. Although we did see in that scene earlier where Nate is asking everybody about their dating lives, when Nate uses the word person yeah. about who David is dating, there is a little moment where you see Ruth's face going like, hmm. Oh, and also as as she's leaving, Angela says, you know something? I never worked in a funeral home that was this depressing. Well, we might have talked about this. She doesn't seem super surprised that she was fired no i i really think that this is like something that happens to her over and over so capitalism has failed rico because he doesn't like his job and because it fails us all well i mean capitalism has failed rico because it's failed america (laughs) um and the world actually but the job at kroner is not what he thought it would be his hours aren't good he thinks it's an assembly line so rico does want to come back but he needs a raise. 
um, which Nate promises him. And flexible hours for yes. when uh, the baby comes. Yeah. So in this, the last scene, Claire goes to Gabe's house. His out-of-it mother doesn't know where he is and also tells Claire that Gabe's father is dead. Like long dead, like died when Gabe was four. Yeah. After Mrs. Demas shuts the door on her, Claire listens to that voicemail one more time. I don't think she even listens to it. She like hears it in her head, doesn't oh, she? Oh, yeah. Like Scarlett O'Hara style. And then she starts pounding on the door. You know, she has. it has occurred to her that maybe Gabe has gone to uh, uh, end his life. So uh, she begins to pound on the door. And this is a rare cliffhanger. Yeah, Six Feet Under is not a cliffhanger ending kind of show. Like, it's not lost. No, it's like... Brenda's like, I think life is meaningless. Fade to white. Like, end of episode. <laughs> but yeah, this is a genuine cliffhanger. Well, we're getting to the end of the season. Well, you existential know. cliffhangers. Yes, that's true. But this is a this is an action cliffhanger. Yeah. And a like, what's going to happen next cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we fade to white. Um, what letter grade would you give this episode? Mm, I think I'd give this one an A-. minus. Oh, okay. That's higher than I thought, maybe. Yeah. I S- Say more. Um, I like this episode. Um, I don't think it's like one of the best episodes of all time, but uh, I think it's, I like, I love the comedy of the mm. Nate Piss portrait. Yeah. And I don't know. It's it's not like as, as thematically rich as some other episodes are. It balances the Fishers quite well. Mm-hmm. We really get kind of juicy stories for all of them. Yeah. And I also really like this episode for the insight it gives us into the Chenoweths. Yes, that's and true. And the, the empathy that it gives us for Billy that I don't think was there before. Hmm. And I also like, I like a Kathy Bates episode. I like her really showy directing style. Kathy Bates, direct more television. Right? I think we've already called for this, but please. What would you give it? Well, I was going to give it a B plus. Mm. I wish there was something between an A minus and a B plus. I could, I could also be talked into a B plus. It gets a 90. Okay. Which in some grading systems is an A minus and some is a, a B plus. It's very, like you said, very funny. I think Ileana Douglas is great. Mm-hmm. I, I find Angela, I found her so over the top on this rewatch that I was a little like, I really wish there had been like just a little more subtlety to her. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, because I think Ileana Douglas can do it too. That's mm-hmm. um, a little, it's a little too kind of pushing the discomfort and pushing the joke. But I really think it's so well balanced. I love a Bruce Sarah Kaplan episode yeah. and a Kathy Bates episode. And you know, it's a good episode for Nate. Mm-hmm. I think that he's he's pretty mature and great in this episode. I think so too. And he also has like a a, a journey in yeah. this episode. I also now that I'm thinking about it, this episode might be the least related to the death of the week of anything yes, we've ever seen. We never hear about that guy after the first talking about how David might be boring, Nate might be boring. I didn't even think when you said that, I was like, I haven't even thought about him. I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know how the death of the week relates to anything to do with this episode. I mean, maybe it's just like, you know, we've all got to be that lady and beat the boring out of our lives. (laughs) It's true. Beat the boring out of your lives with the cast iron skillet. That is the lesson of this show. For links to everything we talked about today and more information about us, visit our website at notoversfu.com. If you liked the show, please subscribe, tell a friend about it, and leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show. You can write to us at notoversfu at gmail.com or give us a shout on Twitter at notoversfu. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me, Jenna, at Second Husk. You can find me, Caroline, at Caroline V. McGee. You can find our producer, Allison Cherry, at Allison underscore Cherry. That's one L in Allison. Our theme song was written by Matt Berger and Melissa Lusk. And our logo was designed by Caitlin Trishiani. Until next time, be like Billy and creepily document some public urination.